everyone, and welcome to the Esports Report. It is me, your lovely host, uh, Ashley Hodge. I am flying solo tonight. Um, as you have probably uh, been able to tell, our podcast posting and video posting has got a little bit sporadic. Um, it is a very busy time for teachers. We have a lot of stuff going on. I know as the audio and film teacher, I have prom coming up. I have special events that I'll have to broadcast. And the big one, graduation. So unfortunately, Will could not be here. He is busy with his educator duties. So I will be your lovely guy tonight. So I hope everybody's doing well. And uh, today we have a very special guest. We have another nonprofit. He is from New Jersey. I would like to welcome Chris from New Jersey, and he's going to talk to us about Garden State Esports. We will be right back. Welcome, everybody, to the Esports Report. We are here with an awesome guest, Chris Aviles. Now, Chris, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about uh, yourself and what you do? Sure. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Big fan of the podcast. Um, but yeah, so I am a middle school STEM teacher in New Jersey. I would say, um, you know, right when we went home uh, in March, you know, uh, I decided I wanted to uh, try to help my kids stay connected during the pandemic when everything else in their life was canceled. Um, so I started uh, a little esports league and I reached out to um, some colleges and uh, some friends who were working in other schools that had video game clubs and challenged them to play us in Rocket League. And a little over two years later, uh, I have a uh, nonprofit teacher-run Scholastic Esports League that is uh, hosting a third of the state um, in competitions. So things have, uh, you know, escalated quickly, I guess they say. <laughs> I want to say that is quite impressive. You said one third of the state. Yeah. So we just added a 168th school district yesterday morning. Um, we're excited because we also just got Trenton and Elizabeth, two of the largest school districts in New Jersey, um, who are ready to, to come aboard. So, you know, our numbers are going to get even bigger. Um, but, you know, I think that we have filled a need um, that has, you know, kind of been missing for a lot of students in New Jersey. And, you know, we're excited to serve them. And as teachers, you know, everybody on my team is still in the classroom. Uh, you know, we're excited to do so with their best interests in mind. I gotta say, I'm I'm very impressed. <laughs> it seems like it is a lot of work on top of what you already do as a teacher. So I am just very impressed. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely becoming a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun as well. Um, and I'm lucky that I have not yet found the shortage of talented educators in New Jersey who are willing, um, to, you know, come aboard and I try to, you know, stipends and stuff when I can, but for the most part, like everything else, it's a labor of love. It's a passion project. Uh, nobody's getting rich. Nobody's making a lot of money, you know? Um, but it's, uh, it's interesting. Like, um, you know, to the, I'm a big data nerd, you know? And so there's there's a lot of like interesting statistics and stuff like that that you know we find in Garden State Esports, and I feel like it's also kind of being echoed nationally because I'm not the only educator nonprofit. There's you know at least another 15 out there uh, doing things at a state level, you know, but all being run by teachers for students. And 
you know, one of the things that we're finding as well is um, more than half of the coaches in Garden State Esports or club advisors, we call them. Um, and that, you know, with the re- one of the reasons we call them club advisors is uh, they're not gamers. They're the favorite teacher at their school. And they went, you know, these kids went to their favorite teacher and said, we really want this. Will you basically be the body in the room? Um, and, and that kind of speaks to where this grassroots scholastic esports movement is kind of coming from is like anything else. It's just a lot of passionate educators trying to be there for their kids. So uh, we're, we're excited to, you know, right now and hopefully forever offer completely free scholastic esports competitions and curriculum and all kinds of fun stuff for Jersey schools for as long as we can. Well, you know, as a fellow educator, I enjoy hearing the word free. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's important to us as we know that there's obviously equity issues in schools and esports teams, you know, just exacerbates the issue. And so we never want, uh, you know, league dues or anything like that to be a reason why a school is not willing to participate. And, you know, maybe it sounds silly to those not in the education, you know, sphere, but to, you know, convince a district to maybe get some equipment to maybe make an investment in STEM. And get a couple of new computers and, and maybe, you know, get a couple consoles, however a district does it. But then say we need to have recurring, you know, funding to join this league for these competitions. I mean, a lot of times that's what winds up breaking camel's back is not only do we need, you know, sometimes this lift. And it's not necessarily that you need it. You know, uh, we do uh, bring your own device and have districts that play for free. I have a couple of districts piloting GeForce now on Chromebooks. And, you know, we're trying to find a way to get everybody in the game. But, um, you know, if you have to pay to compete, that's difficult, you know. And, and, and I'm not sure what the setup is in Georgia, but I know New Jersey athletic directors do not want to add, you know, another, uh, you know, uh, expense to their already tight athletic budgets. So most schools in New Jersey, right, I, I forget what the stats were, but it's like 98% of our clubs are year long stipended clubs and they're pulling money from student activities. They're pulling money from STEM. They're pulling money from uh, SR2 funding and SEL initiatives. Um, You know, and so it's always just kind of making sure that we find a way to keep these kids in the game and we don't want fees to be, you know, part of that problem. So yeah, we try to keep it free. So far so good. (laughs) Yeah. I will say in Georgia, it is very different. Um, as you know, we have an athletic association, GHSA, mm-hmm. and they partnered with Play Versus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are locked in with Play Versus. So we do have to pay the fee um, twice a year because they're two seasons in a year. And, you know, that can bring about a myriad of problems. But because Play Versus is the official sanction for varsity sports, that is where Georgia is at. Now, we do have a nonprofit. Um, GCEF. Um, mm-hmm. So we interviewed uh, the leader of GCEF and that was really cool. So that's nice. also an option for like schools in Georgia. Um, so yeah, I'm always just fascinated to hear about nonprofits and how they're doing it because that's not like the ecosystem that I'm in. Right. Um, so let's go back to the beginning um, with you now. Were you a gamer? Like how did you kind of pivot into esports? And um, uh, yeah, 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 just something like that. I'm sorry, I mean, I, th- I think it's neat is... Um... I think one of the reasons that Garden State Esports is being successful is I have a foot in a bunch of these worlds where um, my father is in the military uh, and, you know, he, he would do communications and that was kind of his vocation there. 
Um, and when he left the military, he got a job at at t driving trucks. And um, eventually the opportunity uh, was given to him to go back to college, to night school, to learn how to repair computers and, you know, move out of the truck and into the a computer repair role. Uh, and I must have been maybe four or five at the time. And uh, that was kind of how my dad and I bonded is he would drive trucks during the day and he usually went to college at night and I barely saw him. But when I did is we would basically do his homework, which was taking apart and building computers. Um, you know, and then he went on to, to be, uh, you know, he wound up running basically, you know, the tri-state areas, IT for at t and stuff like that. Um, but what that did for me was from a young age, I was always very comfortable with computers. You know, a lot of my kids, especially today, are stunned. I've never owned a console. You know, no PlayStation, no Xbox. I always have been on a PC and it was very easy to go from building them. And then, you know, when I first started it was DOS and playing, you know, DOS games and stuff like that. And then I got Windows and then there were Windows games. And uh, but the esports part really started with um, StarCraft. When StarCraft came out, I was like in eighth grade. Um, it was a huge hit between my friends and I where, you know, we would drag our computers to our buddy's house and have these big LAN parties in his basement. and then. We would go to like local land, like tournaments. I remember, um, oh, what was the, what was the the tech store that everybody loved that went out of business that I can't remember. Oh, it's gonna bother me. Anyway, they would host <laughs> they would host these tournaments and in, in, in their you know uh, building and their stores, and we would go and play. And uh, you know, I'm a very competitive person by nature because you know, same thing. I've wrestled my entire life. I played football. I've coached varsity sports here in New Jersey, you know, for 15 years. So, um, having a background in esports, having a background in coaching, being a competitive person, um, I've always kind of been involved in that sphere. You know, I would enter tournaments in college for fun, um, in CS:GO, and now that I have two sons, you know, under three, I play a lot of Hearthstone on mobile. Um, you know, and enter those kind of fun tournaments when I can. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's always kind of been part of my life. And from the educator side, uh, when I was teaching English, I taught high school English for 10 years. And a lot of the relationship building I did with my students was around, you know, video games. And, you know, I, I, I taught the, the toughest level of English. You know, a lot of these kids had given up on school and um, I started to change a lot of stuff in my classroom. You know, we stopped doing essays and I started letting them do blogging and um, I would pair a video game with a book, you know, and so we would read the book, but then we would play the game as a class and we would, you know, the same um, lesson plans you would do to compare two pieces of literature. We just considered, you know, the video games to do literature. And I remember one time in secret, um, we did uh, the Telltale Walking Dead games um, for our lessons on ethics and morality and stuff like that. And just to see, you know, the kids, number one, locked in when you teach them what you want them to know through something that they love was a lot of fun. But then the other side of it was like, that was the conversations I was always having with these kids, you know, what games are you playing? And then I, I let them bring in their consoles and we hooked it up to the class TV and they were coming in on lunch and they were self-organizing tournaments in the class and stuff like that. So I always kind of had an idea you know, between who I was and who they were that like video games was like this bridge to help me connect with them. Um, and then, you know, I had tried to start an esports team at the high school where I was teaching English for years. And it was always a no for one reason or another, the equipment and the violence and all that stuff. But uh, I eventually changed jobs. I got an opportunity to go over to a school district called Fairhaven. Um, and they let me start the first middle school esports team in the country. Uh, there was nobody else to play, so we played colleges. 
you know, for the first year. And that got a lot of, you know, national attention on PBS and NBC and stuff like that. And uh, a lot of um, schools from around the country kind of, I guess, saw it and they reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we have a video game club. We'd be happy to play with you. So not a lot of people know, but the first year of Garden State Esports or even before it was Garden State Esports, I was running, you know, a national lead for like 40 middle schools on like a Google spreadsheet. Um, then COVID hit and it, it kind of shut down everything in these kids' lives, but I wanted to keep it going. So, um, you know, I tried to, you know, I let the kids take home the school computers. And then I tried to reach out to, you know, other school districts in our area and say, you know, you have a video game club. Can you get some kids together? So we started to play and, you know, slowly people started to join. And the longer COVID went on, like the more districts kind of like saw the need for a way for kids to socialize, even if it was digitally. Um, and uh, here we are finally coming out of COVID. We just uh, ended the mask mandate. We're all back, you know, full time. School seems pretty normal right now, at least in New Jersey for the last you know, couple months uh, and hoping it stays that way. But we're up to, like I said, 168 school districts, which is 5,300 kids. I have 200 teams playing. Um, yeah, and that, that's kind of how it all happened and, and how the background, you know, gaming and, and athletics and coaching kind of all came together for this beautiful disaster that's Garden State Esports. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's awesome. Um, so I, I bet there are a lot of people who are curious like me. What about like funding for yeah. a nonprofit? Like how, how does that go for, for Garden State Esports? Yeah, so I mean... I, I do a lot of talks about nonprofits now, and I think it's relatable because I knew nothing about running a nonprofit when I started a nonprofit. Um, and so one of the things that I have learned is a nonprofit operates just like a for-profit, right? So we can raise as much money in as many different ways, you know, just at like a regular company. Um, it's just that, you know, if and when Garden State Esports ever goes away, that money needs to go somewhere, you know, that is also for a public good. Um, so I've been very lucky. Uh, very early, I was able to convince, um, really kind of, I guess, started out with friends. I, I had been in the ed tech scene for a while. I ran a blog, or I still run a blog, techtopteacher.com. And I was doing ed tech trainings and doing work for Google and going out and teaching, you know, uh, how to use Google Classroom and how to do these cool things with Google tools. And um, one of the first people I met, we, we you know, started doing, uh, you know, the EdTech Roadshow, we called it together like 10 years ago, was Katrina Keene, Dr. Katrina Keene. Um, and uh, she is now the head of esports for SHI. And what's interesting is SHI is also headquartered in Kenilworth, New Jersey. Uh, and it was kind of neat how our paths kind of reconnected, you know, after a couple of years of not seeing each other. Um, and, you know, SHI being a wonderful partner, SHI doing a lot of sales and reselling to schools in New Jersey and uh, SHI now, you know, sharing the vision for esports that we had at Garden State Esports. They were our first, you know, I, I, not necessarily a donor, not kind of like a sponsor, um, but they said, hey, you know, we believe in what you're doing. Here's this money. We don't want anything in return. Um, and, you know, we uh, kind of grew from there. I lucked out where, um, again, as I'm learning, there are community foundations uh, in each uh, county here in New Jersey. And I was also very lucky to make a connection with the uh, community foundation where I live. I'm from Ocean County, New Jersey, and 
uh, just down the road from me, literally I could see it from my house, is uh, the, um, the headquarters of the Grunin Foundation. And Jeremy Grunin, a wonderful guy, you know, runs a family foundation. Um, he was an early donor and was able to help me, you know, kind of get everything up and going. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I got lucky early. Um, and I think, you know, it's the story that I told. Um, and I think the story may be different than what people expected is as much as I like video games and competition. And I, and I know you're basically the best League of Legends player on earth. Like that competition, <laughs> right? That competition like drives us. Like we enjoy it. We like to be competitive. But shockingly, most people don't know what esports is and most people don't care about competitive gaming, right? It's shocking. Um, so the story I always lead with is uh, esports is a fantastic way to teach kids uh, career and technical education, right? Because we know esports is the fastest growing industry in the world. And Garden State Esports not only helps start esports teams, but we help schools start team behind the team. So we have team statisticians and team entrepreneurs and journalists and IT people, right? So every role that an esports company would have, mm -hmm. right? So imagine like a C9, imagine like a, you know, a Dignitas or something like that. Every role that is filled, you know, or, or that exists in a for-profit is filled by kids, right? And so that's that hands-on CTE experience. And that has been really, really successful, right? A lot of the schools are getting involved just for that aspect because we have CTE standards they need to meet. The fact that it's hands-on learning in you know, a lucrative field and it's really hard to be serious about STEM but not be serious about esports because they're so interconnected and there's so much opportunity there. And then the other side of this is SEL. You know, um, From a traditional standpoint, right, it's really hard to argue that having kids involved in sports or extracurricular activities is beneficial to them. right? It leads to better learning outcomes. Um, a lot of schools are choosing to tie esports to uh, behavior grades and attendance. And when you look at who is participating in esports, like Garden State Esports, northward, you know, north of 50% of the league, um, this, they don't do anything else, these kids. Like, this is what they come to school to do. And so now to be able to reach those kids and, um, you know, being able to have something to look forward to and something to motivate them to do the right thing and get good grades, uh, on top of, you know, all of the work we're doing around, you know, um, you know exterminating, uh, misogyny, racism, and homophobia, and teaching kids, you know, how to create and protect safe and inclusive spaces. Um, you know, I'm sure you have tons of stories of what it's like to be, you know, a competitive female gamer and the way that you were treated. And, you know, that's part of the work that we're doing is we are bringing this into the schools. You know, most parents don't monitor or know what goes on online with their kids. And we're, you know, getting these teacher role models and we are like anything else using what these kids love to teach them what we want them to know. And that is, it's not okay to treat people that way, whether it's you're anonymous and don't think you're going to get caught and all that good stuff, you know, it's just, it's not okay. Um, and so that story of, you know, the type of kids that are coming out or 12% uh, of my league are students with, uh, students with disabilities, right? Special needs students, whether they're on the spectrum or have some physical or learning disability, you know, these are kids that are getting involved for the first time in something competitive. Um, you know, even at my old team, we had uh, this kid's grandparents fly in from Georgia to watch him play because he's never done anything like this before. And to see that kid so excited when he walks in, because I'm extra feeling now. So like we have the community come in, 
we do like little entrances and, you know, just like you would go to a basketball game or a wrestling match. Like that's what we try to make it like atmosphere and excitement. Um, but yeah, like the, this kid's grandparents flew in from Georgia because he'd never done anything. And just to see how excited he was and how proud he was to have somebody there to like, you know, see him for the first time, do something like that. You know, I think that has been what's driven a lot of the funding success for Garden State Esports is um, everybody seems to know or has a kid who loves games and, you know, would benefit from a program like this, connecting games to education and SEL and, and you know, STEM and stuff like that. Yeah, I really, I don't think people understand how many job opportunities can stem from esports involvement. It's nutty. Yeah, or that, you know, the fact that females like myself, like female gamers, we're still treated like garbage, even though it's 2022. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of women's voices get silenced in the professional world, and it's important that we do put a stop to that. Yeah, I mean, um, and even I think it, it goes beyond that professional world, right? You know, I teach middle school STEM all the way down to fourth and fifth grade, where I start with an esports elective. And, you know, I make sure that my class is mixed, boys and girls, right? I split them up and, um, you know, make sure that I kind of have even numbers of each, uh, you know, when they come in to see me. And already in fourth and fifth grade, these boys are giving these girls a hard time. Oh, you can't be good at games. You're a girl. And a lot of them, you know, are parroting what older brothers are saying or their streamers or YouTubers are saying. But when I address it, which is where, you know, where I usually start with is like how we're going to treat each other. It's very easy to convince a fourth and fifth grader, right? to treat somebody the way that they should be treated, right? It's a lot different than treating, you know, the behavior of a high schooler or a college student. But then, you know, when I start doing like a video game design class or um, one of my new favorite things is if uh, you haven't done, have you done Rocket League Bot yet? Uh, no, I, no, I have not. Have you, have you heard of it? No. Oh my God. So Rocket League Bot um, is a program that, you know, I don't know. I'm a STEM teacher. I guess I should know, but somehow it connects into Rocket League, and you can program a car, and then have it play other programmed cars in like these AI tournaments. And it, you know, it's, it uses Scratch and Python. It's fantastic. That sounds so cool. That would be oh, so, it's that's best. so cool. Oh, it's the best. But you know, so if I'm doing like a Rocket League bot coding class, those same boys unchecked who are giving girls a hard time in fourth and fifth grade are now giving them a hard time in STEM classes in seventh and eighth grade, right? So we need to make sure as educators that we are leveraging esports and gaming clubs to make sure that people are treated the way that they should be treated. Agreed. Um, now, let me ask you this. What have been some challenges that you have faced um, as a nonprofit? I know in Georgia, we have a bunch of esports um, companies that offer it. We have the High School Esports Association, mm -hmm. and then we have a nonprofit, and then we have Play Versus. So, um, what's been some challenges as a nonprofit in New Jersey? Um, some of it stems from that I am a you know a teacher by day and running the nonprofit by night. You know, almost a, a dual role, um, and people believe that you can't do both successfully. Um, people believe because we're teachers and we are letting schools play for free that we must be offering subpar service or, you know, uh, we're, we're cobbled together with string and glue because 
you know, we're not worth a hundred million dollars and we're invest, you know, investing all this money into technology and all that stuff. Um, so I would say, I mean, I think in the beginning, at least it was getting people to take us seriously. You know, when you go to a school board and you're saying, you know, Hey, we have this fun nonprofit league that you can join for free versus, you know, some of these pitches that the for-profits are giving and, you know, we'll also give you the switches for free. And you know, it's in ways, in, in, you know, in some ways it's hard to compete. Um, but I think what has driven our success is these schools keep coming back and they're telling, you know, their neighboring school districts that they had a great experience. Um, and, and I think that's where the growth is coming from. So, but I would say um, on one hand, it has been getting uh, schools and, and maybe people in the for-profit space, sponsors and stuff like that to take it seriously. But I think the scholastic movement is continuing to grow. Uh, I think the other, you know, kind of big issue we're having is around exclusivity. Uh, and some of these publishers are choosing to make their games wholly inaccessible to anybody but one company. And that's an issue, you know, for a couple different reasons. Um, number one, and, and most importantly, is it's an equity issue. You know, only schools that can afford to play, you know, pay these high fees are going to be able to play these games. And when you look at some of these exclusivity deals, right, mainly uh, if you look at Riot and you look at Blizzard, you know, League of Legends and Overwatch are two of the most scholarshiped games at the collegiate level. So if they can only be played, uh, you know, by schools with, you know, and kids who can afford to play them. Well, there's a lot of kids who are going to be left out. And the reality is a lot of them are the black and brown kids. A lot of them are from the districts that are already struggling and where there's already equity issues, um, which is the same reason why one of the biggest initiatives that I fought for and continue to fight for in New Jersey is getting varsity letters for these kids for esports. Just because if you uh, are a participant at your school and you don't earn a varsity letter, but I have varsity esports at my school and I'm a four-year letter winner and a captain. And then the poor kid down the street doesn't even have an esports team. Well, you know, some of our resumes are going to look better. Some of us are going to have access to these opportunities when others do not. And, and that's the real issue that I have, um, you know, and so I'm hoping that as we gain legitimacy, you know, people realize that there is enough seats to go around. Everybody deserves a seat at the table. Um, and when you lock this kind of stuff up behind one provider, uh, you know, not only does it hurt kids, but there's nothing then that holds that provider to making sure that they're putting out a quality product. You know what I mean? If they have uh, a monopoly, there's no reason to get better. There's no reason, you know, to continue to refine and improve your product. And so, you know, I'm hoping that we see the continued growth in the scholastic esports space where these publishers are starting to realize, well, if I go exclusive with one company, I'm losing opportunities to go to, you know, these 15 states with nonprofits and these other for-profits. And, you know, so we're hoping to make enough of an impact where these publishers maybe uh, second guess whether or not exclusivity is right for them because you're going to lock out a big piece of the market. That's exactly what I was thinking as you were talking, like as a publisher, you know, you want everybody playing your game. Yeah. And if you lock it, then, you know, there's a large part of the population that you're just going to lock out. Yeah. I mean, and I think too, um, you know, I think sometimes educators too don't realize their own power. 
And so, you know, for those games that are out of reach for organizations like Garden State Esports, then we're just going to find another game to play. And when enough people take that path of we'll just find a, you know, another game to play, well, now the collegiate scene has to respond, right? Because you would imagine their talent pool is drying up. Um, the publishers, you know, have to respond because not as many people are playing the game. And you got to remember, like, at least with Garden State Esports, my youngest uh, team are fourth graders, you know? So if you were to switch over to a smite from a League of Legends when these kids are in fourth grade and they don't know what either of them are, you know, League of Legends is huge now, but in five, six, seven, eight years, it might be smite. And that might be because that's what all of the educator leagues decided to play. Um, you know, and so I always go back to there's room for everybody at the table, you know, instead of pulling up seats, let's put them out and let's make sure that these kids get to play the games they want the way that we want um, in, in a meaningful way that helps further the goal of, you know, career and technical education and social emotional learning. And promoting, you know, environments of inclusion, diversity and mm -hmm. equity. That's what yeah. we want at the heart of education. That's what we want for all of our students. Absolutely. And it's just disheartening when it doesn't happen, no matter, you know, what space it's in. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating. Uh, I don't know if you've been following the news, right? But um, as we have reached out to publishers, one of the things that we heard loud and clear is that they don't have the bandwidth to deal with all of us as individuals. So uh, what we announced uh, about a month ago now at the NACAD conference was the launch of the ISEA, the Interstate Scholastic Esports Alliance. And so what we did is uh, those 15 state-run, you know, educator nonprofits, uh, we formed a national nonprofit. And one of our main goals is going to be to work with publishers to secure scholastic licenses, uh, something, you know, above the community guidelines. Uh, and then in some cases below, you know, any exclusives or uh, you know, partnership deals that they have because we feel like that middle ground, like we don't want to be the 1% Overwatch League, the best of the best play here, right? The reality is most of the kids in Garden State Esports, most of the kids, hopefully they're not listening, they're not very good. They just want to play and have fun. They just want to be with their friends and be part of a team. So if you're telling me that, you know, these four profits want to be the place where the best of the best play, fantastic. I hope the best kids you know, go play there in New Jersey, play against other teams from across the country. We would even be open to, you know, sending our state champions to some type of for-profit run national tournament or something like that. But what we're not okay with is, you know, saying who's allowed to use the word varsity. Like it's something that's, you know, copyrighted or something like that. Uh, you know, who's allowed to have school versus school varsity seasons. Uh, you know, you can play the game for two weeks, but you can't play the game for eight weeks. And you can have a playoff uh, if you're a for-profit, but you can't have any playoffs if you are not a, you know, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And, and you know, I know the argument is that nobody owns uh, the IP for football. And I, I kind of get that argument, but even if somebody did, it just doesn't make sense to divide and split up your users and, and to uh, lock certain users out and say, hey, you know, this game is free to play for everybody, except if you're an educator or a student who wants to play in a school, now that free game costs money. You know, and, and, and honestly, it's not even the money piece. 
you know, school districts, uh, you know, maybe eventually see the value and they budget for that kind of stuff. But it's just making sure that everybody gets a seat at the table. I agree with that. Um, you know, in most schools, at least the schools in my area, we're Title One, so we're like high poverty. So we're already like stretched pretty thin with our budget. Yeah, forty percent of my league is Title One. A lot of programs in Georgia were just self-funded, and if you mm-hmm. live in kind of like a small community. A lot of your resources are kind of already tapped when it comes yeah. to fundraising. So, I mean, there are definitely a lot of issues. Yeah. Um, now, I know we're kind of getting close uh, to our time to go, but is there anything that you would like to say to the audience, like about a nonprofit, maybe starting a nonprofit, words of encouragement, just kind of any last words that you want um, like to say? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is whether or not you want to get as serious as starting a nonprofit, you want to get as serious as starting something on a state level. Um, I think the biggest thing to understand is it's not hard to do this yourself. You know, teachers have done so much with so little for so long that we could basically do anything with nothing, right? Google Sheets and Google Forms and a Google site are plenty to start an esports league with in your school, within, you know, a couple districts around you. Um, and I think um, the more grassroots teacher run student first opportunities that we create, you know, is in the long term going to benefit everybody. But in the short term, we're going to provide the best experience we can for kids. And, and, you know, overwhelmingly what kids want is they just want to compete as part of a team. They don't even care necessarily if they're all that good. Um, and they want to play against, you know, schools in their area. They want to play the same rivals that they play in football and the same teams they see during the basketball season. So um, you might be surprised that there are already a lot of these type of grassroots organizations out there, um, you know, whether they're doing things at a city level, they're doing things at a regional level, they're doing things right in your state, even like a Georgia you know, that has a uh, athletic association that has an official partner and all that stuff. There's still grassroots organizations that are running, you know, uh, I don't want to say counter, but are, are running, you know, parallel organizations, you know, serving different constituents. So reach out, ask around. The hashtag is esportsedu on Twitter. Like everything else, you can go to Twitter and find out all the, all the secrets and who's in your area and who you can talk to and, um, you know, the esports edu community is super welcoming. We're always happy to talk and share and share resources and game rules and best practices and how to talk to your IT about it, how to talk to your board of ed about starting a team and what to say when somebody says violent video games cause violent kids and all that different stuff that we've all, you know, had to deal with and we've made mistakes and learned from. We can share and help you get started, right? Because I think the more we democratize uh, scholastic esports, and the more voices and the more seats and the more people we get involved, um, we have a real opportunity to shape the whole scene uh, and, and make sure, you know, there's something in it for everybody. Now, before we go, is there anything you want to plug? Any websites, Twitter, um, sure. social media check handles? Out, yeah, check out uh, Garden State Esports, gsesports.org. Uh, everything that we have is on our resources page for free. So anything that we use in New Jersey to get schools started and to run our leagues is on the website for free. Please take it, steal it, change the name to your organization, put your logo on it and serve your kids. Uh, Cause that's what it's all about. 
And then uh, if you want to start to see what's going on with the national scene with the Interstate Scholastic Esports Association, uh, you can check out isea.gg uh, or uh, interstateesports.org. I think that's the right URL. We just bought that one. Um, but isea.gg is definitely working. Um, and you can kind of see, you know, what states are in, what regions are starting up and how you can get involved. Chris, I just really want to say it has been fascinating talking to you. And I really, I really, it's really interesting. Like, I want to have you on the show some more um, as, as the nonprofit progresses, because I want to keep up to date with everything that's going on. Absolutely. I'm happy to come back anytime and tell you how we're doing and tell you how the national scene is doing. And maybe we'll get you in Georgia, join up, be part of it, you know? (laughs) Sure. Uh, Well, thank you. This has been very, very informational to me. I hope it's been very informational to our listeners. Uh, We appreciate it. And, you know, we hope to see you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Really, guys, that was a pretty amazing interview. I'm always interested to hear from nonprofits and just how people run different esports programs. I'm always just very fascinated with that. Um, So I guess it's time for Will's favorite segment. Uh, one minute rant. Uh, so I guess it's my turn to rant and I will have to try to time myself. Okay. So my minute rant is about, let me think for a minute. What am I, what am I going to rant about? All the forfeits. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to rant about all the forfeits. All right. Um, I don't know if this is only a problem in Georgia, but there have been like just a ton of forfeits across all the games. League of Legends, Rocket League, Super Smash, Mario Kart. Like, what is going on? I actually know the answer to that. I know that COVID's still going on, um, and I don't mean to sound insensitive to that, but in Georgia specifically, we cannot play from home. We have to play in person, Um, and I know that that's probably a struggle. But contact me before Game day, contact me like a day in advance, two days in advance, you know, not 30 minutes before the game, not five minutes before the game. You know, if you're asking for a reschedule, please do it in a timely manner. And as a fellow educator, I know that we get very busy and I understand, but just do it as a courtesy. You know, reach out, contact that coach, make sure that everything's good to go. I always contact the coach on game day. All right, so that's my minute rant. I'm tired of these forfeits. You know, my kids aren't getting to play. It's very disappointing. Their stats um, get messed up if they don't play sometimes. And also they paid. You know, they paid to participate, and they're not getting the gaming experience um, that they should have. Now, I will say the forfeits have gotten a little bit better this past week, but the previous two weeks it was a little rough. So, um, you know, I know extenuating circumstances happen. Um, If your school falls into that category, please just contact the other person in advance. If you can, I know things come up and I don't want educators to feel attacked. I know you guys feel like we're attacked enough as it is. That is my minute rant. And also, I'm not blaming you. It might sound like that. I promise you I'm not. I'm not blaming you, educators. You're awesome. I know that we're dealing with a lot right now. Uh, in school, COVID, repercussions of online learning, all of that stuff. Um, so it's just uh, a rant about what what grinded my gears this, this week. Um, so yeah, that's our episode. I do hope everybody enjoyed it. It was my first time flying solo. 
Uh, I hope that we will be back for the next episode. And I'll go ahead and tell you, some of the upcoming episodes might not be posted every week. Like I said, it's a very busy time. I will try to do my best. Will will try to do his best. But, you know, it's just it's just very busy. Once the summer hits and we have a little bit more free time, uh, I think we'll be able to get you guys some really good episodes. And as always, if you want to come on the show, uh, feel free to contact us at the esports report hs at gmail.com. You can also find us on the social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. So please feel free to contact us. And uh, I hope you guys have a good day. And uh, I'll just say bye.